Please note the information contained in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into consideration your personal circumstances. If you need advice, please seek out a licensed financial professional. Hello there and welcome to another episode of Better Real Estate. I'm Greg Fay. And I'm Dora Pappas. And today we are going to be talking about upsizing and downsizing your home. Now, I've got a bit of personal experience in upsizing. So do I. (laughs) You haven't downsized ever, I don't think, Dora. never downsized. (laughs) Well, I've had had the um, two kids and a small two-bedroom flat that was upsized time for sure. Absolutely. Um, but I'm sort of head. I'm starting to head out the other side. Like um, I've one's left, two still at home, but they're sort of in their late teens. They say kids stay till they're sort of mid twenties. Well, but- if they're anything like mine, they were in their thirties. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll get rid of them before then. Don't you worry. <laughs> You'll give them a nice friendly nudge out the door. <laughs> well, it's just yeah, like my my, my life skills, my like, son, yeah, life char- skills, character building. <laughs> so, if you are thinking of of doing either upsizing or downsizing, it's obviously uh, a big step to make, and you, there's obviously things to consider. Now, let's start at going up. What are the things to consider, Dora, you reckon? Well, if you're going to have a family and you've got a growing family, obviously you're going to need more space because as the um, children get older and they become young adults, they need to have a little bit of personal space and so do you. So rather than be all cramped in the one room, it's really nice to have a couple of living rooms. Um, I always... um, I have this story that I tell that I bought a four-bedroom home, which I turned into a three-bedroom home because what I really wanted was I wanted each of us to have a decent-sized bedroom. Now, when it comes time to sell and I downsize, I'm going to have to turn that fourth or that three bedrooms into a four-bedroom home. Well, that can be the subject of another podcast. Oh, okay. Building uh, a wall. <laughs> no, I'm going to ask you over to build that wall for me oh. <laughs> so that I can sell my house. Do you reckon you'll do that for me? You can't say no on air. I can't say no, no on air. No, you can't. No. <laughs> I'll hold you to that. <laughs> Off air, we're, we're on. And another thing about upsizing is outdoor space, you know, space to kick a ball around the yard, climb a tree, something like that maybe. A pool. Yeah, if you're into it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think pools are hard work? I just got that. Oh, I got that feeling when you said that. If you're into it, no, only because I had to look after our pool when okay. I was a kid. My dad sort of wasn't around after you know he passed away when I was young, and so I was the one who was looking after the pool. And this, you know, back in the eighties when I, I think they're a bit less low maintenance, but you had to check the pH and the acid levels and backwash it and I, get out. Oh. Greg. I think you still have to do that, but it's I, the I friendly wouldn't. pool man who does it these days. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, and there was there was two gum trees over it as well, oh. so nightmare. I feel your pain because I actually had a pool in one of my houses and it had um, a jacaranda tree over it. That was the most ridiculous oh, no. site for a pool and guess who chose it? Me, so oh, I had no one no, else no to one blame else. <laughs> except myself and no one else to clean it except myself. Well, there you go. So if you are looking at upsizing and you're looking at a pool, no jacaranda trees. No jacaranda trees and no gum trees either. That's right. And another thing is um, uh, you've got to uh, not think about where you are now but where you're going to be. That's you know right. what I mean? Your, kid, your kids might be, I don't know, five or six or something like that, even younger perhaps. Where are they going? What are they going to do in ten years' time, or 
15 years' time. You don't want to be continually moving. There's a whole lot of, no. you know, costs involved in doing that and, you know, moving so around. So it's, it's almost your forever home. Well, forever until the until the circumstances change. For the next 15 change. years. Well, I yeah. mean, speaking from personal experience, you know, that from 15 years or 16 years I've been in my home from when the kids were sort of three or four yeah, um, and they're all sort of moving out now and just, yeah, just seeing what they go through. Luckily it had a big bad yard so my son was able to, run amok with the neighbour and uh, and the girls, you know, they could have their space as well. Well, I had a um, home where the kids grew up and it was close to the train station, had everything going for it. But once the kids left school, I actually moved into um, a community, a townhome, and it was the best thing for me. I had a little courtyard, so I didn't have a whole lot of maintenance, so yep. I didn't have to worry about mowing lawns and things like that or paying a fortune to have the... Um, the lawn uh, looked after and the garden looked after. It was a prize-winning garden. It wasn't my garden, I have to say, even though I owned the house, it was the previous owners. Right. So can you imagine the pressure to maintain that sort of level? I don't think I did quite, which is very naughty of me. But um, the relief when I moved into um, a small well, it was a large home on a small plot. So. But that's that's almost downsizing because that's a, a big attraction for de- now talking about the other side of the fence, the downsizers, yes. yeah. is getting rid of the lawn and the garden that you've got to yeah, all you know, that prune and mow and weed and so on. And you can still have a garden, it's just not quite as big. That's so true. And um, you, I find that my little courtyard gives me heaps of enjoyment. There's enough room there for a table. Every you know, there's that indoor outdoor lifestyle. It's just it's perfect for me. But um, yeah, I, I suppose in a sense it was downsizing. The house upsized, but the, the land the, the land, land down, didn't the land downsized. The land downsized. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but if you are thinking of upsizing, another th- um, point though is um, you often find that you may need to bring your parents back home rather than um, have them go into a nursing home or into a retirement village. You might want them to live to live with you. So yep. That might not be you. No, that's not me. <laughs> or you might even be up for a sea or a tree change where you um, have sold your property in, in um, the city. Big dollars. You've, you've got, got some money. Hopefully you've got some big dollars. So you might buy a bigger property, have some money left over to uh, renovate or, and or, get what you want. Or go for the lifestyle, buy exactly. closer to a beach if that's your thing or, or you know, yeah. a bit of farmland, something like that. Yeah, no, there's, um, there's a lot of reasons why people um, either upsize or... I guess downsize. Downsize to a large, <laughs> <laughs> large <laughs> property. <laughs> On the plus side, I'm see I'm going back and forth here. Grandkids, you'll you'll surely have some soon. Well, yes. Well, you'll have. Well, yes, maybe. I suppose I'll have the maybe. room. You'll have the room, and yes. that, that's another thing you've got to think about. Yes, with downsizing is it, it's not just looking in the past as to what you had. You've also also got to look into the future with. You know, will you need a, a bedroom or two if you do have grandkids? Are they going to come over and stay every now and then, or you might have a friend come yeah. and stay? At least, yeah, at least a couple of bedrooms, maybe reg- three. Yeah, you might have regular visitors, so you've just got to think about where you are in your life stage and what's coming up next as yeah, well. Yeah. And also, if you are going to da- downsize, um, and this might be a really good thing, you may not have the amount of space that you need for the current possessions that you have. No. So it may need 
a little bit of decluttering. In my case, a lot of decluttering. Although my mum downsized and it's just chock-a-block. I don't think she got rid of anything. (laughs) (laughs) Another advantage of downsizing, and you were talking about sea change and tree change, you could make a city change. There's a, I know ah. a few people who have sold in the suburbs, you know, and yep. 20 k's out of the city, yep. bought an apartment in the city to get amongst it all. Yeah, no, that's true. I know people who have done that as well who've um, moved from the uh, burbs and decided that they want to be, well, not necessarily right in the CBD but just outside it so they're close to all the really good restaurants, movies, um, theatres, movies. Yeah. So, you know, what's really good about that too is the travel time's really cut down. Yes. Which is, you know, yeah. um, a bonus, travel time and fuel because yeah, you definitely. can save a mozza on fuel well, when you're not travelling. If, you, if you're that close into the city, you, you know, probably don't even need a car. Just no. Public transport no. around, and if you've bought an apartment uh, close to the city and you actually do have it, you could rent out the garage space <laughs> and make some money. What do there you think? Go. Oh gosh, it's, it's the one. Let's do it. What are we doing sitting here? I know, I know. I'll have to forget that big space of mine really quickly. <laughs> yes, of course. There's downsizing. Then there's downsizing. We're talking at tiny. Are you, know, talk- are you, you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Are you talking about those tiny, tiny little homes? Tiny homes, yes. It's a massive thing. It's just it's just gone ballistic. There's shows about it and I get emails about it all the time from, from companies. It's, I mean, it's the ultimate in sort of freedom living. Why? Because you can just... Well, it's, it's usually, they're usually on wheels. Yeah. So you can, you know, take them where you like. But, but we're not talking about caravans here no, necessarily, no, no, no. are we? Look, no. Let's get the info from an expert. We're going to be talking to Darren Hughes from Tiny Houses Australia. He's been doing he's started he's been doing it for six or seven years, knows all about it. We'll get the info from him. Can't wait to hear what he has to say. Yeah. Wonder if he'll convince me. Oh <laughs> I don't think that'll be hard. <laughs> I'm waiting for the oh, you've got me. <laughs> Now we're going to be talking with Nikki Vass of Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate to get her top tips for upsizing and downsizing. Nikki, hello and welcome back to the show. Hello, thank you. So we've been chatting about upsizing and downsizing and both Greg and I have upsized. Um, Greg's gone from a flat to a house and I've lived in homes of various sizes, but I've never really downsized in the true sense of the word, although Mm -hmm. I am really thinking about it at the moment. So Today we're just going to talk about what's involved in this process. So let's talk upsizing first. When do people typically do this? So depending on where you are in your stage of life, you might decide you want to um, downsize or upsize to either a smaller or a larger home to suit your needs. For most of us, it's budget-driven. But there are some other considerations to think about before you make your decision. So upsizing, if you need to upsize from a two-bedroom apartment to, say, a three-bedroom house because your current bachelor pad won't allow for you and your growing family to live there comfortably anymore, or you've converted the attic, you've extended the kitchen, but your home still feels small and with all the children living at home, there's no space for your parents to stay and they come to visit from overseas and they come out three times a year, for instance. So you might need to move further away from the city to afford a larger home. 
the running costs are going to be more and the daily commuting costs will be more as well. But if you're selling your existing home, you need to allow enough time. So if you are upsizing, what should you be looking looking for in a home? So look for something that's going to suit your needs that you think that you can grow into. You don't want to be upsizing, you know, it costs money to move homes. It does cost money to move and um, stamp duty and all the rest of it. So you want to make sure that it really does suit what you and your family need. Um, So, yeah, just look for something that you can afford in an area close to schools. It depends on your own circumstance, what, what you value, if you want to be closer to the coast or if you want to be in a bigger home and move out west. So it really does depend on what your budget is and what you've been able to leverage from the property you're selling when you are upsizing from, say, an apartment to a house. Do you see a lot of people who um, upsize because they want to run a home business, for instance? Um, A little bit, but the main demand is definitely a growing family. Mm -hmm. The people tend to be closer to the city in an apartment that's convenient for work and transport. Then they get to the age where they want to have family and they realise that they can't keep the children in the apartment. They're climbing the walls, they need some lawn or just more space to run around. So that's definitely the main reason people would upsize, be closer to the school. That's certainly what I did. I did a two-bedroom flat in Kirribilli with two kids. It was it was disastrous. Bedlam. Oh, that was crazy. Um, yeah. Well, what about at the other end of the spectrum, Nikki? Uh, downsizing the, to yeah. moving into a smaller place. So downsizing might sound like something that you want to do, but it can come with a number of benefits, such as freeing up the equity. You'd be able to live mortgage free and give you more money to spend doing the, the things you really want to do. Um, so if you're getting ready to retire and you've got rooms that aren't being utilised in your home. You're looking for a different type of home with less maintenance, something less expensive to heat and cool. So a lot of our customers or our vendors have been struggling with all the repairs after the recent storms in Sydney. Uh, they prefer to be in a, a smaller property where they're not looking after maintenance all the time, such as a strata complex where the maintenance is taken care of. They're paying a quarterly strata fee and they can just lock up and leave the property and travel and they feel like their property is being cared for while they're away. I, I just I just read an article recently actually that um, a big trend is uh, families downsizing to apartments like moving into a large three-bedroom apartment and, and eschewing that all that maintenance and everything for the, the, the apartment living life. Yes, and a lot of the strata apartments have got pools, tennis courts, gyms. So you're not looking after all these facilities, but you've got use and access to them whenever you need them. So it is a good option. You've just got to factor in strata fees. You've got to allow for those fees and things may change in terms of what those fees are being spent on. Um, Maintenance, quite often they'll have a body corporate or owner's committee meeting once a quarter and they'll determine what needs to be maintained in the complex and urgent repairs versus things that can wait. So you are living in a a strata fee um, body corporate owner corporation sort of environment so you've got to be able to be flexible and allow for those things versus being in your own home when you can make your maintenance decisions yourself or put things off. The other owners might not want to put some maintenance things off, especially if it's considered an emergency repair, like the roof might be leaking, for instance, then yeah. the funds definitely have to go and fix that fast. Yeah, yeah. Can I just ask you another question? Um, can you give us your pros and cons for downsizing? 
Because I know I struggle with that decision. I mean, I'm, I've had both my kids move out of home. I've got two spare bedrooms. I like living yeah. in big houses, but. Yeah. <laughs> but. I know. Expensive. Um, it is expensive and, and for me it's not so much the, I mean, I obviously only use as much electricity as I need to, but the mortgage is quite expensive but I sort of struggle with moving into a smaller home just because I like to have space um, but I do struggle with the concept. Yeah, I guess the, the first thing is to consider how many of the rooms and outdoor space you use in your current home could you be happier with less space and more time for leisure activities when you're not spending looking after a large home? And step through your lounge room and if think to yourself if it was half the size, would it still work for you? You might not be able to hold Christmas there anymore, but you could go to your children's home maybe or another relative for Christmas. Um, you don't want to feel cramped and living on top of each other either. So you need to really look at what space you've got and what you think you could give up. Um, a lot of people don't want to give up their garage. Um, but the idea of being in an open, it's still a security car space, but maybe under a big block, there's no room for tools or a workbench, for instance. So that can really help you to determine what you're looking for in your next home. Maybe you need a townhouse where you've got a bit more flexibility for those sorts of things versus an apartment. So if you didn't have a lawn and a garden and a pool, it would free up a lot more time. And you should really write a list of your pros and cons and what you need for your, for your next time to make you happy. Well, I'm a list maker, so you just said the magic word. So, Nikki, obviously, you know, people selling their big family home and, and getting a few big bucks for it and buying something smaller that obviously costs less, they've got a bit of cash lying around. What do you, what do you find people uh, generally think about doing with it? Well, there has been some recent Australian government incentives for downsizers to deposit funds into their superannuation account and they can claim exemptions from capital gains from the sale of their home. So it's a good idea to speak with your accountant or financial advisor and work out if this will help you in the long run invest some of the proceeds from the sale of your home into your superannuation account. Well, right. That's a good idea. I guess you you, you could also go on a big holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not talk about Maybe holidays right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe a big long drive. A drive, yeah, driving <laughs> holiday. holiday. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic info, Nikki. Thank you so much. Now, before you go, tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you. So I'm Nikki Vass. I'm a licensed real estate agent with Better Homes and Gardens in Crowsnet. You can reach me on 94102277 and our website is www bhgre.com.au. Lovely to speak to you today. Thanks so much, Nikki. I'd like to introduce uh, Darren Hughes to the show. Darren is the founder of Tiny Houses Australia and the director of Tiny House Festival Australia. Darren, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Right off the bat, what is a tiny house? How tiny is tiny? But there's all forms of, of tiny houses. I mean, when when people talk about tiny houses, they could mean various things. They could mean, you know, micro, small studio apartments. They could mean um, house trucks, buses, vans. But generally, uh, with the community as it is nowadays, when people talk about tiny houses, what's known as a tiny house is generally a tiny little house built on a really, really big trailer. Right, Okay. Okay, because I wasn't sure about the on wheels, actually, so it's actually true. Yeah, and look, 
the term tiny houses, I mean, really, tiny living tiny is nothing new. People have been doing it for centuries. Um, but really, people are starting to realize that bigger is not necessarily better. And people are starting to realize the scent, not only financial sense, but also the the peace and uh, peace of mind and, and um, the, 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 the comfort away from being stressed that comes with having a space that is you know, appropriately sized for your family size and your lifestyle. Fair enough. Okay, so can you tell us what a tiny house actually includes? I mean, does it have the usual um, bathrooms, plumbing, electricity? Because when you say on wheels, I'm thinking people are thinking, oh, I'm going to have gas bottles and I'm going to have, um, where am I going to have my water from and so on and so forth. Absolutely. Well, tiny houses have everything that you would normally expect in a normal house. We just get rid of the bits and pieces that uh, that you don't really need that are nice to have. For example, you know, we don't, you know, there's obviously not enough space for the walk-in wardrobes and the en-suites and the, and the formal this and the informal that. But, but the basic functions of a house that you that everyone needs, i.e. a kitchen, a bathroom, you, know, you need a place to cook, a place to clean up, a place to sleep, so there's a sleeping area or bedroom, and a place to hang out, watch TV, have a, you know, have a, a, a drink with a friend or, or entertain. So there's a living area as well. And when you get rid of the all the parts of a house that are nice to have, but you don't really need them, uh, and you get it down to those basic sort of areas that you do need, uh, it is possible to get a very functional, very beautiful space in a tiny house footprint that's that's on a trailer, How- which is usually in the order of sort of two and a half metres wide by six to nine metres long. You just answered the question that I was about yeah. to ask. How tiny is tiny? <laughs> Thank you well, for that. Yeah, they really vary in size. I mean, look, at this, the smallest, put it this way, the smallest functional tiny house that I'm aware of in Australia is 3.6 metres long by 2 metres wide. Now, it's actually up on Airbnb at the moment on the New South Wales-Victorian mm-hmm. border. Uh, but personally, that's, yes, it's a tiny house, but it's not, you know, it's okay for an Airbnb, you know, weekend getaway, but... I don't think anyone could seriously live in that permanently, you know, long term. So, in terms of a, a good livable space, I think sort of five to five to eight meters long uh, is usually um, a great space for uh, for for a beautiful, functional, livable space. And would you would you find down that that I mean, you say it's on wheels, but it's not like you're towing it around everywhere. Would you would you think most people would just sort of have it and leave it somewhere? Or, yeah, or- most people are using them as semi-permanent situations. So the reason why they're being built on wheels is because the moment you put them on wheels, they're technically a caravan. They're, no, they're certainly not a building. They're not a permanent structure. And therefore, building codes and, and, and uh-huh. planning permits and all that sort of stuff simply don't apply. Uh, the gray area is that uh, a lot of councils sort of look at these as caravans and they, they see the wheels, they put them in the caravan bucket. And then they go, oh, great, we've got bylaws for caravans. No, no, you can't live in a caravan full time. Right. Now, there are, it varies from council to council around Australia. But, but you're right. The, firstly, in terms of moving these tiny houses, they will certainly handle it. I mean, if you want to use it like a caravan and travel the highways and byways of the country, you can certainly do so. But you need, A, a truck with enough mumbo to be able to pull it. Uh, and you need to be willing to incur the fuel costs, which is which is not going to be pretty. You know, they 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 can be moved, but they're big, they're heavy, they're not aerodynamic, 
and you need a serious sort of truck to to be able to pull them. But they will stand up to it. I've got friends of mine in the United States whose houses have racked up over 50,000 miles around the States and they're still rock solid. So they'll handle it, but it's it's not really going to be um, well, you know, not- a stress-free, easy, easy journey, if you know what I mean. It's, it's usually, they, usually they're moved when they're absolutely needed to be moved. Other than that, they're plopped in a field somewhere. Um, going back to your earlier question, Dora, they can be built so they're completely off the grid. Yep. So composting toilets, solar panels to run the lights and the electrics. Um, some appliances can be run, as you said, off gas bottles very efficiently. Uh, but a lot of the time, they they are actually plugged into 240 volt power, you know, and uh, and plugged into mains, water, and and septic systems, et cetera, as well. What are they constructed of? Uh, constructed of mm. they they range. There's a number of different methods that people are using and, and build companies are using. They can be built again, just like a normal house. They can be built from a timber frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can also be built by lightweight steel frames. So a lot of modern houses are being built with steel frames. There's a lot of advantages to them. Uh, there's also SIPS panels, which are structurally insulated panels, um, where they're basically solid core walls of um, rigid foam clad on either side, often with tin. And uh, so those are a very fast way of building tiny houses as well. So there's a number of different ways that people are building the tiny houses on wheels, but compared to your traditional caravans with, you know, one-inch thick walls, you know, the, the tiny houses are, are more house-like. They're more substantial walls, properly insulated walls, properly uh, constructed, you know, more like a house rather than a caravan. And who would you say your customers are? In terms of tiny houses, Australia, and this is very comparable to other um, communities overseas, you know, seventy percent of my followers are female, and just over fifty percent are between the age of twenty-five to fifty-five. Wow, that's really interesting, Darren. Let's get into to brass tacks. I mean, I, I know it, it will vary with um, size and fit out and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, but what sort of price are you looking at for a, a tiny home? For a tiny house, I guess it really comes down to whether people are building it themselves or whether they're getting a professional build team. And there are a number of build companies out there now that can do the whole thing for you. They can work with you on a design and just deliver it for you, lock, stock and barrel. All you got to do is move in. Yeah. So if you're going for a professional build company, you're looking at somewhere between, again, as you said, based on depending on size and spec and what appliances you want, somewhere between, a, say, 50000 and $120,000. Whereas if you were to build it yourself, if you've got the skills and the inclination to want to have that adventure and, and want to build your own house, materials-wise and uh, with some of the labour you're probably going to have to contract out, you're probably looking at anywhere between you know 10000 to 50000 You know, we, we know people that have done it for 10000 but they're just very, very handy virtually to everything themselves. Yeah, depends on your and, skills. And a lot of recycled, reclaimed, free materials, et cetera, all the way up to, you know, so there's really, it's kind of a how long is a piece of string yeah, um, yeah. question, but certainly substantially cheaper than the uh, $690,000 average Australian house price. Oh, yeah, or the 1.5 if you're living in one of the big capital cities, 1.5 million. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. So uh, is, there a, is there a big uh, DIY, uh, I guess, following or or – There is. Yeah? There is a big DIY following. And the reason, I guess, is because 
a lot of people are realising the sense that comes along with tiny houses, but not everyone necessarily has sixty, seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollars to go to a professional builder and, and order one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing is, a lot of people also, aside from that, a lot of people just want that feeling of accomplishment. They want that adventure of oh, I'm going to build my own house. Yeah, right. Because it is actually doable. It's, it's not as daunting as oh my god, how am I going to? If I'm not a builder, how am I going to tackle this? a four-bedroom, three-story house, you know. Yeah. So really what we're talking about is a, uh, to simplify it, is it's a big shoebox with a shelf that, that, that you often sleep on. And so it's it's in that realm of, 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 of becoming doable. So a lot of people actually have decided, you know what, we're actually going to build our own tiny house. What, what and are, there are – Sorry, what, sorry were, what, were, um, what are some of the tips? Say someone's thinking of building a tiny house and – uh, you know, where do they start? What what sort of advice could you give them? Where do they start? I would suggest the first thing to do is to connect up with a community of like-minded people. Um, I may be biased, but, you know, Tiny Houses Australia has been around since 2013. We've got not only 57,000 followers on Facebook, we've got about 16,000 Aussies in our Facebook group. With it there, and there's an enormous wealth of experience, expertise, yeah, yeah. support, encouragement there as well. So that would be the first thing I would suggest, and not only that, but but just to ask a lot of questions, because a lot of the TV shows that people are seeing on on YouTube, and there are reality TV shows out there now on, on tiny houses. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are coming out of the US, and in the US, they they simply don't have the weight restrictions that we do that we have here. Now, for example, you can build big, beautiful tiny houses in the United States, and thousands and thousands of people are doing that, but you know, we can do it here in Australia, but we have to keep the whole thing under four and a half ton. You know, they, they don't have those weight restrictions in the States because every man and his dog in the States is a big, you know, Dodge Ram <laughs> this and Chevy Silverado that, right? <laughs> so for us to be able to tow around with our four-wheel drives, you know, they are road legal. We can tow them, but we have to keep them under four and a half ton, which means in comparison to when you're building a normal house, you have to look at the weight of every little component yeah. uh, because it is a real juggling act to be able to build. Because on one hand, you're trying to build a quality, structurally sound dwelling, a big, a beautiful, tiny space. But at the same time, you need to keep an eye on the weight because if it goes over four and a half ton, then technically it's not road legal and you shouldn't, shouldn't really be taking it moving it anywhere, you know. Can I ask you one question about the um, internal fit-out? I'm figuring there's got to be a lot of um, dual-purpose um, furniture and storage and things like that. Would that be true and does that come as part of the package when you have a professional builder build it for you or a professional uh, tiny house expert? Absolutely. Um, now, there's, there's a lot of uh, multifunctional spaces is certainly part of it and multifunctional furniture, et cetera. I mean, one part of it is firstly people need to downsize because any way you cut it, most people are going to have to downsize and, and go through a decluttering process to get rid of all the stuff they don't need, et cetera. Uh, but but when you've done that, uh, yes, it makes it, it makes sense to use the space in the most effective way possible. So, you know, it's a matter of thinking outside the box. So, for example, a lot of people with their clothes storage might think of well, walk-in wardrobes. Well, you're not going to have that luxury. So normal closets or, you know, creative ways of storing clothes and food. For example, um, in a tiny house, an often used strategy is using storage in the stairs. So people might have a set of stairs, they go up to the upper level sleeping loft, 
And rather than it just being an empty set of stairs with a big cupboard underneath, they actually utilise that space for a series of drawers and cupboards that that come out of the uh, the staircase that they could use for pantry items, for example. So it is a matter of looking at uh, creative ways of using the space, maximising the vertical space as well, uh, not just the uh, the horizontal space, to you know to maximise the the efficiency of the space and and the storage that you have available to you. Oh, awesome. All right. Well, Darren, that's about all we've got time for. So, I mean, thanks so much for joining us. That was all awesome information on, on tiny houses and, and gave, gave us certainly a taste of it. Oh, pleasure. And tell us where our listeners can find you. Uh, if people want to find out more, they can reach out to us at Tiny Houses Australia on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, etc. All right. Thanks so much for your time, Darren. Thanks, guys, for your time. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Well, thanks for listening to Better Real Estate. And if you're enjoying our show, please do us a favour and rate, review and subscribe. This will make it easier for other property lovers to find our podcast. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.